Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self-Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. It, the patience of a mother to be able to be strangled on camera and still just keep going with uh, everything you're supposed to say. Way to go, Aaron and uh, Ramon. That's wonderful. Uh, welcome, friends. If you're visiting, my name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you with us today. We're in a series that is called Advent Conspiracy. Uh, this is the third week uh, where we'll be talking about the theme of give more. Now, if it seems somewhat sort of contradictory to say on one week, spend less, and then the next week, give more, or would become apparent as we move on. But I'm going to start with a passage. We're going to read an extended passage from the Bible. If you're unfamiliar, uh, you can listen. If you've got a text in front of you, feel free to open it. We're going to read from Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 30, and we're going to read a couple of selections, and I'll, I'll just prompt you if you want to follow through. Uh, and this is going to help us tap into the, the narrative of, of Advent. So here we go. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, who is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And we're going to jump across to Luke chapter 2, the next page. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census, which took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee in Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified." But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. And Jesus, as we gather as a community, whether watching online, whether here in person, thank you that you're present with us as we learn. Continue to shape us into the people that you want us to be. We are a group of people that hope to live in your way, in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus. May you transform us where we need transforming. You breathed in this book and it became alive. And as we look at it, breathe in us so that we might be alive in new ways. Thank you. Amen. So here we go. We're going to start uh, with a tale of woe. Uh, so still fairly new to Colorado, uh, still learning the ropes, still doing Colorado and things for the first time. And my family and I, we love skiing. I've been skiing for years and years. And so we bought some passes up to Keystone Mountain and, you know, we have the season ticket now. But this was our first adventure up there. So this week we decided on Friday, we're going to take the whole family to go. Uh, it's going to be great. We're going to have a great, great time. So up we went along I-70. This was the furthest west that we'd been. We'd never been past Genesee Park before. And, and I was told by my GPS that I listened to uh, carefully to get off I-70 at exit 216, which is Loveland Pass, uh, to get to Keystone. Now, any of you that have been to Keystone know there is a much better way to get to Keystone that doesn't involve going along Loveland Pass. But Loveland Pass looks something like this. It has no sides to the road. It just drops off into abysses. It was covered in snow, and the snow was still coming down, and you could see almost nothing. And there we went adventuring along. Now, I, if I say so myself, I think we handled it fairly well. We were cruising along at a steady 30 miles an hour, but apparently my non-Coloradan driving was not fast enough for Coloradan driving. And so regularly we had these people scream past us on the outside who were in a hurry to get somewhere. Apparently there was good snow waiting somewhere, but, but we made it over the top of the mountain for no reason. We could have just gone around, but we went up and we went down the other side. Uh, and all was well. This wasn't the bad part of the story. Uh, we had planned this delightful day of skiing. And I had pictured it looking something like this. There we are, you know, family on the top of the mountain skiing away. Again, my two girls ski fairly well. This was not completely unoptimistic. Waving our poles around and, and just enjoying, you know, the, the blue sky and the mountains. What I had forgotten was this. We are not a family of four. We're a family of five. Um, and the fifth member of our quintet, as it were, uh, is this little fellow right here. <laughs> We've got a delightful little photo of him. Uh, now, he had never been skiing before. So when we got there, we all got our stuff on, and there we are out, you know, ready to ski. Uh, I put his first ski on for the first time, and he was positively delighted, super excited. I then attached the second ski, and he became furious. Uh, now, the reason we think for this is, is this. Uh, he has this show that he loves called Blippi. If you are a parent of young kids or a grandparent, Blippi is a godsend. Let me give you that as a free gift. He has taught our kid to count to 17 or 18, and he knows every color and everything, and he knows what sinks and floats all because of Blippi. But Blippi doesn't ski. Blippi snowboards. Um, and, 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 and so <laughs> when we put the first ski on, he was fine. But what he was upset about was that we didn't attach his second foot to the first ski. So when we put a second one and he was no longer like Blippi, suddenly our sweet little boy that looks like this some of the time turned into this raging monster.
So he's still young enough that I can get away with showing these videos of him. And one day they'll be on the internet and he'll get to look back and see what suffering he caused and why potentially he has no other siblings other than the two he already has. Um, but he sounds like a small T-Rex calling for his mother. It's just the anger is just there. Uh, and so Laura's skiing time looked like sitting on the snow holding a child, consoling him, while well, I took the two girls to do a couple of you know, runs. And, and then we'd not skied in Colorado before, so our skis iced up because they weren't waxed well enough, apparently. And so I spent my time stood on the side of the mountain, scraping ice off the bottom of skis with a credit card, until I turned to Laura and said, babe, we got to go. <laughs> we just have to write this thing off and go home and call it a day because otherwise someone's going to get PTSD and we're going to leave Colorado, which we'll be like, sorry, South, we're done. We're out of here. We got to go home. Um, so we did. Um, and, and it was the best decision that we've made. It reminded me of this meme that's been popular since about September uh, that goes something like this. How it started how it's going. Doesn't it just reflect 2020, how it started? It may have been a dumpster to start with, now it's one on fire. Um, there's another option here, you know, the, the cute romantic couple with the puppy they just bought, and now no romantic couple, just a girl and a dog. Um, or how about this one, how it started, how it's going. There's just that like, ah. Oh. And I think we've all felt a little bit like Tom Hanks at the end of this 2020 year, right? We're just, the beard's grown, we're just, we're just a mess. And that's how I felt after a couple of hours on Keystone Mountain with my kids, or especially my third kid. And here's, here's what it makes me wonder. We've just sung a ton of songs about these characters that appear in the traditional nativity story. We've had Mary and Joseph. We've had the shepherds. We've had the, the wise men, otherwise known as the Magi. And we're going to take a, a brief look at each of these characters as we talk about this theme of give more. Because I have this feeling that each one of these characters, well, we romanticize the story. And I think we romanticize them as well. Because I suspect that each one of them in this story, as we look at specific parts, had this temptation to say, oh, we should just be done with this. This story's insane. What are we doing here? Where are we going? What does this even look like? What are we investing in? There's got to be some questions. Just look at, at some of the cost of the story. So this is Mary. This is her entrance into the story. An angel appears to her and says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Mary's invite into this story She's invited into just brokenness, really. I mean, she's a 14, maybe 15, maybe 16-year-old girl who finds out she is pregnant. Imagine the conversations with her family that take place. Imagine the sense of public shame. And yet she responds with maybe the greatest faith declaration of all time. This is from the message version. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. She jumps into God's story with all of her heart. She's willing to sacrifice for this story. And then, I wonder how she feels at different points 
of her journey. Jumping in at the start is one thing, but what does it mean as that story continues through nine months of, child, of carrying a child, through the birth itself? Think about this moment. This is in, Math- in Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census which took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Bethlehem is a hundred miles from Nazareth. For those of you that have carried a child, imagine at seven, eight months pregnant, suddenly your husband turns around to you and says, oh, by the way, we're just going to take a journey on donkey back to, to a town about a hundred miles away. There would be no question for most of us. I am not entering into that story and think about Mary and her engagement in this story as she travels. Where am I going? What am I involved in? Where does this story end? While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, a son, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Not only is this journey 100 miles, but when she gets there, there is no space. We know the traditional story, right? No room at the inn. And when it says that there was no guest room available, what this means is that most houses of the time would have a, a, a room that was set aside somewhat for, for animals to stay in, attached to the house. And, and they would be in there, in amongst all of these animals, with all the noise, and we romanticize that as well. We think of these animals maybe sleeping peacefully, or maybe just glancing over at the baby. Just, But no, this was a mess, and it was smelly, and for the dream of a first child, it was certainly not what you were hoping for. Think about Mary's involvement in the story, and then how about these guys? And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They cut out on their shift. They just left in the middle of the day. They just said, we're done for now. We're going to find a baby. And did they ever stop and wonder, what happens if there's nothing there? What happens if we get back and all the sheep are dead or run away or something? What if we lose our position? These are guys that worked for somebody who was important or wealthy. They were dependent on somebody else for a living. And their story involves sacrifice as well. And then... These guys, the Magi, who are super mysterious, we know almost nothing about them. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose, and we've come to worship him. They're astrologers, part of an ancient mystic religion, maybe Zoroastrians or something like that, and they see a star in the sky, and they get up, and they begin a journey. And how many times during that journey did they question what they were doing? As a little aside for you, uh, you can see the Christmas star, as it's called, for the first time in 800 years on the 21st of December. It'll be up in the sky just around sunset, and it's when when Jupiter and Saturn sort of become really close to each other. But some kind of sort of cosmic thing like this got these guys to jump up and make a journey. Did God put it there? We don't know. Did it just appear magically? We don't know how it came to be, but something drew them somehow. And this is incredible. God chose to meet them where they were. 
involved in the religion, the practices they were, that he got out of, he, he provided for them in that moment. And there's this prophecy back way in the Old Testament in a book called Numbers in chapter 23. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. Maybe that's why Matthew feels it's so important to write about this star that these Magi followed. But for whatever reason, they got up from where they were and they began this journey chasing after this star that seemed to move and seemed like it was going to land on a particular spot. This is the journey that they may have taken. They probably came from either somewhere in the Babylon region or perhaps down in Yemen. This was a road that was called the Incense Road. Travelers or tradesmen would take this road from Yemen up towards Egypt and up towards Israel and Jordan, and they would sell their spices wherever they went. But these guys aren't tradesmen. These guys are stargazers, prophets. They probably work for one of the local rulers. They're probably fairly wealthy. They're used to these beautiful terraces overlooking sunsets. They're used to warm climates. And suddenly, after gazing at a star, they begin this journey. They get up, they leave their palaces, and they begin to walk. They begin to journey. And as they would have journeyed up this pathway, and this is, we're talking about 1,800 miles or something like this. This was just like if Laura and I, when moving from New York, said, you know what? Forget about getting on a plane. We're going to get on a camel, and we're going to go to Colorado that way. This is the same experience that these guys had. And as they got more and more northerly, the snow would have been begin to be present in the hills as they made their way up in the wintertime. And the climate would become something that they'd never seen before. The writer T.S. Eliot sort of taps into this with his poem, The Journey of the Magi, a cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year, for a journey and such a long journey. The way is deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. A hard time we had of it, at the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. 1,800 miles of journeying on Camelback after a star, and at some point, there's the question that comes up, what am I following? Where am I going? What does this look like when we get there? They don't know exactly where they're going. They turn up at a couple of towns before arriving finally in Bethlehem. But there's this journey that they're on, and there must be this question that comes up. Is this a mistake? The same question that I have on the Keystone Mountain, the same question we all have about 2020, I think at some point occurs to these guys, like, what, what are we doing here? And what we notice is that each character gives something for the story. The story costs them in some way. It's not just plain sailing. It's not just easy. Mary gives up respectability. Not everyone will believe her story. The shepherds, they give up job security. They leave their charges in the middle of the day and just go off to find this baby. And the Magi, they give gifts. They give up wealth. But more than anything, they give the time of a journey, a months-long journey, and then a return, chasing after a star. It costs every single one of them something. And then here's what makes the Christmas story the Christmas story. Here's what makes it truly magical. The character that does the least in the story has given the most for the story. Because this baby doesn't move. It's dependent on everybody else. It's completely static, and yet he is the central part of the story. And as much as the rest of them have given, 
the, the Jesus story tells us that he gave more. That his journey doesn't start as a baby. It doesn't start in Bethlehem or Nazareth. It starts at this moment where a God in heaven says that you were worth the journey from divinity to humanity. You were the journey, worth the journey from the eternity to the present now. That you were worth limiting himself to the, the footsteps of a human being, the amount that a human being could travel in a day and ultimately worth dying for so that you could live a different story. That's what makes this story the, the ma magical. That's what makes it majestic, maybe a better word than magical. That's what makes this story captivating. The character that does the least in the story has given the most for the story. Because we understand having no power and getting power, but we very rarely understand having power and giving it up. And that's what Paul, this New Testament writer, says about this story. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The most innocent, the most helpless creature, this human baby that needs somebody for everything. This is what God becomes in search of your heart and my heart. His journey begins in the moment that he decides that that is worth the cost. As much as they give to this story, he has given more to this story. And here's something that I've just been contemplating. Particip participation in this story for us should or could cost you something or everything. Now, for those of you that are not part of this Jesus thing, you're kind of on the fringes, I'm going to give you a space just to step aside, feel free to listen in, but, but there's this whole church conversation that's gone on for years about faith versus works, and I just want to just touch on that, because we have this tendency to think that, well, because we can't earn what God has done for us, that it won't cost us anything. And I'm not sure that's completely accurate. Even Paul, this New Testament writer, will sort of tap into this idea, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Yes, the, the work of Jesus is this free gift, but, but participation in the story, it may cost you something. It may cost you everything. When Paul looks for a word to describe this, he uses this word, zamia which is kind of like the, the connotation of, you know, sometimes you just have a, you give a bad loan and you know you're not getting the money back. I once bought a car off one of those dealers on the side of the road and it was an Audi A6. It looked fantastic and I was sure I got a fantastic deal. I paid about three and a half thousand dollars for it and the internet told me it was worth six. So I was like, I saved two and a half thousand dollars. I really took this sucker. I won. Uh, and then I got it home and it sat on the driveway overnight. And when I got up the next morning, Every type of fluid that could drain from a car was now over my driveway. So I took it to my mechanic and said, what do you think? And he said, it's a really nice looking car. If you spend about two and a half thousand dollars on it, then you'll have a car that's you know, drivable and worth something. I didn't take the guy at all. He took me. Uh, lesson, if you're ever buying a car, don't buy a car off one of these guys. But, but I had to write off that two and a half thousand dollars. It's just done. It's just... It was a bad investment. And that's how Paul talks about everything that he has given up. It wasn't, wasn't worth anything compared to what I have now. I'm, I'm willing to write it off. Everything that I thought I've given up was worth it. When we think about this nativity scene, 
while the, the traditional scene doesn't ever happen, while there is never a moment where shepherds and Magi and Mary and Joseph and the donkey and whoever else are gathered around the baby, while that never happens, every one of them does at some point in the story have a moment that's somewhat like this, where they gaze at this child and they're like, everything that I thought it cost me, it was worth it. It was absolutely, for Mary, all of the journey of childbirth, it was worth it. For the shepherds, the risk of their job, worth it. For the Magi, the journey, it was worth it. This is the end of T.S. Eliot's poem. And I would do it again, but set down this, set down this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but I thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death our death. And we return to our palaces, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation. With an alien people clutching their gods, I should be glad of another death. These magi in this story, they see this baby that has been born and suddenly everything that they have thought important dies. Everything they have followed dies. And in this moment, as he gets back to his palace, he's like, ah, oh, I would give everything to have that moment again, to be part of that story. There's something about this story that has captivated them. The same with the shepherds. They don't even go back to their sheep straight away. They go off shouting the news in the streets. This is what we have seen. There's something about this story when you enter into it. It just captivates you. It grabs you in this incredible way. I think this is true. You give and you gain and you do it again. When you give into this story, when you sacrifice for this story, you find that you didn't actually lose at all. That's what every single one of these characters in our nativity drama find when they gave for the story. They found it was worth it, and they would do it over again. You give and you gain, and you do it again. And here's what I wonder. I wonder if we lose some of the, the wonder of what we're invited into. Because for thousands of years, religions were built around this philosophy. There was priests, people who sat on platforms or provided sacrifices, and there was everybody else. They got to participate, and you didn't. And then Jesus comes along and changes all of that, and suddenly there's this thing that now you get to participate. You're invited in. Peter, the New Testament writer, says it like this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What a wonderful way to articulate what Jesus has done. And it comes with this idea of a, a royal priesthood. You are, you are involved. We're invited in, and that's an amazing thing. So I'd love us to just think through a little bit this idea of like, well, if the story has captivated us this year, how might we enter into it more fully? What might we give that will enable us to, to connect with this story in new ways? How might we find opportunities to give in this new year? So here's a question. I want to give you some practical stuff. How can we give at home? Last week, we talked about this idea of buying presents from David instead of Goliath. And while presents are a part of Christmas that I don't think will go away anytime soon, here's a challenge. Give physical presents not just lots of presents. In your Christmas season, choose to be present with people. 
Choose to find ways to connect. Even though that's difficult with this time of year, this pandemic, that might involve sitting in, a computer, in front of a computer screen for a while. It might involve sitting outside around a heater. It might involve being in ones and twos instead of tens and twelves. Find ways to give presents to your family this year. Find ways to say, I want to enter into engaging with you. But not just this. Here's another stretch. Give emotional presence, not just physical presence. Here's what I find to be true about myself. It's possible for me to be present, but without really being there. I have this phone that I get to play on. I have this iPad that I get to mess around with. I have loads of sports news to keep up with. I have all these things to do. And it's possible for me to be in the room without really being in the room. My kids have caught on to this. We have this family show that we watch together. They've seen every episode so many times they know it by heart. And now their favorite thing to do is this. They'll sit and stare at me as we watch together. And every moment I get distracted, every tendency I have to pick up the phone, they're like, wait, you've got to watch this part. You've got to watch this part. You... They know when I'm emotionally present or not. This might involve actually practically thinking through, I'm going to put my phone down when I walk through the door. I'm going to leave it somewhere where I can't get to it. The emails will come, but actually they may not be as urgent as you think they are. You're invited not just to be present, but to be emotionally present as well. And here's a third step. And this is for you that are choosing to follow Jesus. And if that's not you right now, this is fine. Um, but for those of you that are, give spiritual presence, not just emotional presence. And this is a gentle push to you fathers particularly. There's a tendency for us as guys to, to just sort of allow or force the whole spiritual development of our family onto our wives, onto the mothers. For some reason, mothers are better at times at picking up this responsibility than guys. Choosing to take that responsibility at Christmas, to lead your family into this Christmas story, is actually just a privilege that you get to have this year. Choose to be spiritually present in this Christmas season, and not just emotionally present. Choose to take that leadership of your family and lead them through the, the Christmas journey together. Give physical presence, not just lots of presence. Give emotional presence, not just physical presence. Give spiritual presence, not just emotional presence. As you give to that story, I think you'll find that it's, it's just been worth it. That it will create a different sense of God's presence in your home this Christmas season. But finally, what can we give at South? We know that you love this community. We want to give you ways and potential to serve and, and be part of what we do this Christmas season. So here's a few things. Give yourself, not somebody else. God brought you here for some reason. You have some gift that other people don't have. You have something that you bring that is valuable, that is worthwhile. And that's a wonderful thing. We have some people that work at this church on the staff team that they're, they're weird. Um, like they're the sort of people that have their passports in a place where they know where they are. And if you go to the drawer by the, the door or the garage, there's, there's like jumper cables and things like that and practical things that you actually might need. Uh, when it snows, their driveways are cleared. They don't just become iced over. They have these weird organizational tendencies that I don't have. Um, and they keep this place running well. They keep it running smoothly because they are different to me. I'm not better, they're not better, but it's just different gifts working together, and that is a wonderful thing. And you, you bring something. Don't try and be somebody else. Bring what you have. 
If you love engaging with prayer, then, then be involved in engaging with prayer. If you love serving on a door, then stand on a door with joy. If you love playing music, then enjoy playing music. But bring who you are because you, you are needed in this story. Give with joy and not with guilt. We're going to invite you into all sorts of giving opportunities, both in terms of your time and your money, because we, we think that you value them. But don't do it because you feel guilty. Give it because God has given you the privilege of being involved in this story. Give out of joy and not out of guilt. We're doing end of year giving and we're going to talk in a second about our Christmas Eve offering, but it's supposed to be a joyous thing, not a guilt-driven thing. Give to a story that is bigger than you. This is what we see in this nativity story, right? Every single one of them, with all their sacrifices, finds that they've suddenly landed in a story that is bigger than they could possibly have imagined possible. A story that is changing the world. And South is just a little part of that story in a little part of the world. And yet it's where God has called each of us that call South home. It's where he's called us to land in this season. We'd love to invite you into helping South do what South is helping other people do in the world around us. So we're going to finish by watching this video that's going to introduce our Christmas Eve giving opportunity. None of this money is going to South. It's all going directly to help another organization. So here we go. We're Tyler and Amy Maxwell. We've been serving in Nairobi, Kenya for the last six years, working with street boys. So a street boy is a boy or a young man who lives out on the street. These boys have no place to live. Um, they scrape for their food. They look through the trash for recyclables to sell, to buy things. Um, and they're really shunned by the community. The community thinks that they are the least of the least. There's an estimated 100 million street children worldwide. Uh, in Kenya, we estimate there's 500,000 street boys. So it's, not, it's definitely not a Kenya problem. It's a worldwide problem. has proven to be quite challenging for both our family and for the ministry in Kenya, like we know it has been for many of you as well. In Kenya, the government restrictions have made it quite difficult to gather in large groups while we work with the boys and girls on the street, but we have adapted our ministry to continue working with them daily. One of the challenges that we found quite difficult is having a location where the boys and girls can come and uh, get away from the street, be themselves. We can feed them, uh, they can bathe, and we can share the Word of God with them. Uh, when you're depending on other people's uh, property to, to do your ministry, it becomes very frustrating and challenging. Uh, we've responded to that challenge. Now we're looking for a piece of land uh, where the boys can come seven days a week. Uh, they can hear the, the word of God. We can feed them. Uh, they can get away from the violence on the streets. And uh, it's just a place that they can feel free and it's their place. Our passion and desire is to see the lives of these boys and girls transformed for Christ. And we believe that having this type of center where they can encounter the love of Christ is an essential part. The street ministry is how we're able to get these kids off the street and their lives turned around. Currently, we have 10 kids off the street. Eight of them are boys and two of them are girls. Five of these are in high school and five of these are in vocational training. 
Um, and 2020 has been mostly online learning, but the kids are looking forward to having in-person school starting in 2021. Our goal in 2021 is to double that number. We want to have 20 kids off the street in school and vocational training. School in Kenya is not free. We pay somewhere between $1,200 and $1,500 per kid uh, per year. We want to thank South Fellowship for being a huge part of this ministry and playing that role in transforming the lives of these kids. In Swahili, we want to say, Tume barakiwa na nini wote. And mungu awabariki nini wote. That means we are blessed by all of you. And God bless you all. So we've been as a community supporting Tyler and Amy for a while as they continue to work out there. Uh, this year, we've chosen them to receive our Christmas Eve offering. We would love to take this goal that they have of buying a piece of land to be able to do this ministry more completely to provide this safe space as something that we would love to help them on the journey through. So that's where all of our Christmas Eve offering is going. If we can do that for them, man, what a story of transformation. What a way for us to enter into a bigger story this year. So we'd love to present that to you as something for you to consider. You can go online at southfellowship.org stroke give. There's a drop-down menu that allows you to give to the Christmas Eve offering. You can give at our Christmas Eve services if you'd like to do it that way as well. But thank you for participating in South's Calling to be part of the bigger story in the world around us. I'm going to invite Aaron and the team uh, back on stage. Uh, we're going to close with some prayer. Jesus, thank you for your uh, incredible story. Thank you for each character that comes into it. Each character that just must have at some point questioned whether this was all folly. And yet we see this wonderful moment where they experience the birth, you experience your entry, your incarnation into this world, and it seems like that moment creates the sense of, ah, it was all worth it. I would do it again. Thank you for your calling to us to immerse ourselves in the story. May we connect with that story in new ways this Christmas season. Perhaps you haven't chosen to follow Jesus for yourself. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in person. You can jump into this Jesus story this year. You can in this moment say, ah, I definitely have this tendency that all of us have to go my own way. The whole purpose of Jesus coming was to lead us back into a better story. He gave his life for each of us that we could have a different life, that we could have forgiveness, that we could have a new relationship with God. You're invited into that. You don't have to do anything. It may cost you something. You may lose something, something that you find very important, but he comes and gives it as a free gift. All you have to do in this moment is ask for his help in going in his direction. And we'd love to know if you did that. For the rest of us, may we be challenged by how we give this Christmas. May we jump into opportunities to serve here at South. For those of you that are registered for Christmas Eve, we would love to have your help. Come to one service, but help at another service. Jump in and help support Tyler and Amy. Let's provide some land for these incredible boys in Kenya to be able to experience a different quality of life. Let's embrace the challenge that God has for us as a community. Thank you, Jesus, you've been present with us. Amen. 
If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org/give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South Family. Have a great rest of your day.